Welcome to Rome Cuny Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Hey, we're going to be wrapping up our uh, the Lord's Prayer kind of series that we've been doing. That's uh, Matthew 6, so we're going to be there. But we're also going to be in Exodus 33. And a little bit of revelation. We're going to be a lot of places today. So, uh, but if you would like to kind of open up to Matthew six, and then if you want to, if, if your Bible has a fancy ribbon, you could go to another place, Exodus thirty-three. That'd be fine. Um, give you plenty of time to turn there, and so we'll do that. And then next week, I think so. It should be, hopefully. If everything goes right. <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to start the book of Ephesians. And so that will be the next book that we'll be going through. And kind of like just so you know how you may think, well, how come you came up with Ephesians? I take a dart and I put the books in the Bible. And I'm just kidding. No. Um, just I've always praying a lot and kind of like certain books come easy. Like when we had Jonah, I'm like, I know that's going to be the book. That's what the Lord put on my heart. But I've been praying through this like, I don't know. I know we need to do something because I can't do from like October 20. What is going to be um, 25th? Christmas messages all the way to Christmas, even though some of you may like that. Um, but I'm like, I need something. And so I just was praying and praying and praying. And it was between like Exodus, I don't know why, and Ephesians. But Ephesians just kept popping out. I'm like, all right, Lord, we're doing Ephesians. So that'll be something good to do. Now, just to let you know, as you may be familiar, how we do things and how I, I preach, um, we will not be done with Ephesians before Christmas. So just so you know, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, but we'll take a break and, and it's okay. We just roll with it here, right? So I'll be good. So I just want to let you know next week. So some of you, I, my challenge always is feel free. I would actually encourage you uh, to try to read the book of Ephesians in one sitting, six chapters. Uh, it's doable. And just to read it and ask the Holy Spirit to help you as you study it and as we study it together as a church. So with that, um, but let's go before the Lord and let's pray for our time and his word and just ask the Holy Spirit to direct it to our hearts and stuff. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you, God, that your word and God, you spoke and your word that we have and the Holy Spirit directs it upon our hearts and our minds right now. And Lord, we don't want to just hear your word. We do want to be changed by your word. That we'd be doers of your word. God, thank you that you know everything about us and what took place this week and the frustrations that have happened or the joys even, God. And thank you that you invite us to come to you. Thank you that we have this in Jesus where he welcomes us and he says, come to him all who are heavy laden and we can with our burdens and we can find rest in him. Would you bless our time in your word? In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Where we lived in Southern California, um, we every 4th of July, we had this like tradition, I guess you could say, and you may have your tradition too, uh, but we would go to Alyssa, my wife, her parents' house, and she had, they had this view that overlooked kind of like the city in Riverside, and they would shoot fireworks off of, it was called Mount Rubidoux. Now, it's not like a mountain, it really isn't. Uh, it's more like a glorified hill. But anyway, but it was called Mount Rubidoux, and I can't remember the history why they called it Mount Rubidoux. Maybe it's because it's like the tallest hill in Riverside. I don't know. Anyway, in Riverside, there's not really a river, by the way, and it's not by side. Anyway, there's a lot of doesn't make sense things, but... but we would watch it, and uh, there's a lot of things, but it's dry, um, and we always had this like bet, in a sense, like how fast would the 
hill catch on fire during the fireworks show. And, you know, sometimes it'd be right away and they'd pause it and then they'd put out the fire and back to it, you know. But either way, you always turned on the radio. You had a radio going to a certain station and they tried to make it in sync with the fireworks. Well, you always knew you were at the end because of what? It was a finale because there was more fireworks. It was bigger, it was louder, and it just went crazy. And you knew that this was a finale. Like that was building up to that. It was building up to that moment. In a way, with the Lord's Prayer, traditionally, there's this building up to it ending that our newer manuscripts don't really have. Like we've got to see and study a lot of things through the Lord's Prayer. And my, my hope and my prayer for us as a church is that it changed and has helped mold in the sense how you pray uh, we went from God's paternity our father his presence who's in heaven what does that mean for him to be intimate with us that he knows us uh, we know that he's holy how be your name uh, we know his priority that we desire his will and his kingdom to come uh, we see his provision give us this day our daily bread that's us depending upon him not just for food but everything we need in life to live a life of godliness uh, we see not only his provision, but we see his pardon. Forgive us our debts, our sin. Our debt is huge, and God is gracious and forgiving. Uh, we pray for his protection. Lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. We have all of these aspects that we've learned, and I do hope and pray for you that you see the importance that we get to ask of God, that we get to talk with him. But he's holy, he's good, and we get to know him. The, there's some translations, like I said, modern translations, it just ends in verse 13. Uh, go ahead, read with me, even though I just kind of said it, but hopefully you know the Lord's Prayer by heart by now. If not, don't worry, there's not a test. Uh, but I will give gold stars if you want that too. Um, verse, verse 9, start there in verse Matthew 6, says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's kind of like, then it has a period. And then verses 14 and 15 kind of associate with it, but they're really not part of the Lord's Prayer. If you grew up reading the King James Version, anyone here, that was like how you grew up, and that, or you still do, that's okay too. Um, there's, a diff there's an added part to it, the doxology of it, which is what? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so it's interesting that the King James has this ending. And you may think, like, how come? How come modern translations don't? And I don't share this because I'm wanting to debate what translation is better or not better and have this long, lengthy discussion. I'm just saying that there's more, there's better manuscripts that have been found today. And when I say better, closer to the original writing date of the letter, so to Matthew, that do not have the doxology. And so thus, like the ESV, which I teach from, or other newer translations don't have it. That's the reason being because they're not in older translations, or manuscripts, I should say. But the doxology has its roots in church history. The early church used this kind of like a manual for what church is going to look like called the Didache. 
And this was used for the church to say, well, how, what is the church and how does the church function? And so they had this document that wasn't really authoritative, but it kind of was for them. And it showed them like, here's what you do. And so they had where the church prayed the Lord's Prayer three times a day and it included this ending, the doxology. Yours is the kingdom and the power and your glory forever. Amen. And that was included. Also, just even throughout church history, there's ancient Greek, Coptic, Syriac, and Latin translations that still have the doxology. And so today, we're actually going to look at that, including with Scripture, all pointing to God's glory. Because one, well, even though it's as tradition, it may not be in modern translations, but it's still scriptural and valuable. And it's to wrap up kind of the Lord's Prayer. One thing with it that I like, it's kind of like the bookends. You know, how does the Lord's Prayer start out with? It's to God. What are we pointing to? He's holy. It's his glory. And with the doxology, what does it end with? We're talking to God. It's about his glory. And so it's kind of like the book ends with prayer. It's important for us because really the ultimate end of man ourselves is to glorify God. The Westminster Shorter Confession has as a first question, what is the chief end of man? What is it? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So everything we do is to point to God and His glory, which we'll look at. What does that even mean? And that we see that here. Is that in prayer? I don't know if you've ever forgotten about someone you're talking to over the phone. I have never done that. Just kidding. No. But maybe you haven't been that bad, but have you ever forgotten about what you're talking about in that conversation? And I do that sometimes. I'm like going, I'm like, what was I saying again? Where was I going with this? And you have that moment. Well, have you ever done that in prayer? Uh, I have too. Um, sometimes I follow a list of items or requests that I'm trying to lift up and I'm praying for. And have you ever done this? Like you're praying for something and your mind starts wandering about like something connected to that. You know, I could be praying about like my kid's sports game. Like, oh, Lord, I pray that you keep them safe. And then I'm like, I remember when I was a kid and I played sports. I remember doing this. And then I start going, I'm like, what was I doing again? Oh, yeah, I'm praying. But did you know you could also forget who you're talking to when you pray? You go through the motions. I know we're praying to God. We're talking to God. But the danger is sometimes we just do the motions. Have you ever done that? Oh, we all have. That's what we have to guard against. And so in one sense, the doxology kind of helps bring us in. It's like the guardrails, if you will. Like, who are we talking to? God. What is our goal? To glorify Him. When we pray and we, when we say amen, who are we talking to? God. What is our goal? It's to glorify Him. And so in one sense, it's those bookends. Who are we talking to? We get to talk to God who's the creator of all things. Everything. Everything that exists. The one who spoke it. The one who's all-knowing, meaning that he knows everything. Even knows our motives. God who's ever-present, that he's with us now and he's also with other believers in another country, like he's ever-present. He's not constricted by time or distance or location. The one who's all-powerful, that scripture says nothing is impossible for him, yet invites us in and says, here, I want to hear from you. See, prayer is like that signifying relationship called abiding that we get to have. It's part of that process or that, what that means. That we commune or dwell with Him. We abide with Him. And we get to have that privilege. So who do we talk to? We get to talk to God. 
In the doxology, there's this phrase, your kingdom and your power. It's kind of synonymous. They use the same. It's pointing to what we desire for God's will. Remember in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's like that. It's to kind of remind ourselves to acknowledge that God has a purpose, that our desire is to do what His purpose is, His will, His kingdom. And when we look at what He's doing, and when we pray, we acknowledge we want what God wants. We desire what God desires. We're saying that, yes, the world, the flesh, and the devil may assault us, but they do not have the last word. Let's just put that in terms of everyday life. Have you ever prayed because you had a rough day? And you're like, Lord, man, this day was tough. Got the news from the doctor. It wasn't good news. Or you're battling this. And so you have this weight, this burden. uh, By us realizing who we're talking to and knowing that his will, his kingdom, his power... It gives us rest to say, you're in charge in this moment, you know. We're able to say, yes, there's all this stuff around me. I had a tough week. I'm tired. I'm drained. I'm bombarded. Whatever the case may be, we're able to say, but you're powerful. Nothing's impossible for you. You're in control. You're sovereign. You're aware. This is what you're acknowledging in that moment. And we get to... Our victory is not found in ourselves, but in the one who already won, Jesus Christ. So this helps us to rest in the work that has already been done. Confidence as we face tomorrow. Joy in the security that Christ brings. That's what we're acknowledging, that we have that. Have you ever noticed that there is a connection between praising God and praying to God? Like they kind of go hand in hand. Maybe you've heard of the acronym ACTS when you're praying, or you know what that means. It stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And that's like a format that people will follow. Regardless of a format or how you follow, praying should lead to praise, and praise should lead to praying. It goes hand in hand. I like how J.I. Packer described it. He said, prayer and praise are like a bird's two wings. With both working, you soar. With one out of action, you're earthbound. Birds should not be earthbound, nor Christians praiseless. They go hand in hand. So he's saying, when you are in awe of God, the response should be praise. When you praise God, you're able to know that you could approach Him and you get to pray. When you pray, you know that God, who is almighty, all-knowing, ever-present, is listening. And that should respond in praise. So it's that cycle, that rhythm that keeps going. Praise, prayer. We get to have it. We could be confident that He hears us, confident that He gives mercy and responds mildly because His is the kingdom and power. As we pray, we understand that God is capable and willing to meet our needs. And thus we respond in praise because our God works and does. This is a response to what God has already done. And all of us can agree God has done mighty deeds, right? He has. And maybe you're like, but it feels like it's been a while that there's been this mighty deed. Don't ever stop thinking about the gospel work, what Jesus Christ has done. The greatest action where sinners go to being called children of God. Our debt has been paid. The greatest, mightiest work has been done by Christ. 
And so with that should respond in praise. And as we praise Him, we can ask of Him, we pray, and He is able. So the doxology really is pointing to God who is able, reminding ourselves what He's done. But what about the phrase, your glory? I mean, that's a term that's all throughout Scripture that we hear about God and His glory. Uh, we read about in the New Testament. We read about in the Old Testament. We see both. What does that mean? J.I. Packer, again, he describes it this way. The word glory carries two interlocked layers of meaning, each one which entails the other. Layer one is the manifested praiseworthiness of the Creator, meaning that he, he is glorious because He's God. And then layer two, he writes, is a praise that draws from his creatures. We praise him because he's God. So it's both and. Men give glory to God because he's glorious. And while God shows his glories to man, the response is praise. So it's all connected. To glorify God means we're praising him because he's God. But it's even deeper than this. When we talk about God and his glory, we're talking about the core of God, his character. Now, we can wrap our minds around some of the attributes of God that we see described in Scripture, like God is good, because we know what goodness kind of means, even though it's tainted a little bit. Or we can know what love is, and as the best intentions is still not in comparison when it just, God is described as God is love. That's who He is. But when we talk about glory, sometimes that's just a whole nother, like, over our head kind of moment. Like, what does that mean? It comes with weight. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 33. Kind of what's going on for Israel. Remember, they're in the wilderness. They got delivered from Egypt. And they're there in this moment. Chapter before, God, well, I should say a couple chapters before, but God tells Moses to get on top of the mountain. He gives him the Ten Commandments. What happens when Moses comes down the mountain? What does he find Israel doing? Worshiping a golden calf. Like, that's what he sees. And so it's in this moment of rebellion that Israel has towards God. You know, the one who set them free, and they're like, no, no, and they want to worship an idol. Moses is interceding, talking to God on the behalf of Israel, saying, no, no, we need you. And God's like, no, no, you don't. You're on your own. And he's like, no, no, we need you, God. And so that's kind of the dialogue that's going here. But it's deeper than this, which is also amazing to see God's grace given. But start in verse 18. And it will be up here too. What does Moses ask? He says, please show me your glory. He's not saying, show me just that you're here. He's asking something even deeper. Remember, they got to know God's presence. He's the one that delivered them. They went from Egypt and left. And this was prophesied in the book of Genesis saying they would leave wealthy. They plundered the Egyptians. They left wealthy like God said they would. They got to see His mighty acts setting them free. They got to see God's mighty acts as they crossed the sea on dry land. They got to see God stop the pursuing army. They got to see God lead them with a pillar of cloud and a fire by night. They got to see God lead them and provide for them with manna from heaven. They got to see God's presence. So He's not asking just about God's presence. This is deeper than that. He says, Show me what? Your glory. He goes on to say what? And God said to him, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. 
But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until you pass by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses is asking a question more than like, God, we want to know your presence. Like, we want to know you're here. That's not it. He's like, I want to know the core of you, God. Like, you really. I know we talked about you and we kind of see in the distance, but I want to know you. Holy. Fully. Like, that's what he's asking. And God's like, you don't get it. Like, my glory, that's what he's asking for, that fullness of God. You can't just do that. So, kind of hit him, covered him, passed by him, and they got to see like the fading or the passing of the presence of God, that glory that he was asking. See, what God was revealing to Moses was not just, as he says, his goodness, but also his name was attached to it. And then there's attributes ascribed to him as he's merciful and gracious. And they're all showing. But he's saying, you want to know the core, the full of me, who I am. It's like the sun radiates light and heat. We don't know the fullness of the sun in a sense, unless you're there and like, man, you'll be consumed. But we know the radiance of it because of what we feel, what we see. Moses is saying, I want to know the fullness of you, God. God's not disconnected from his name. Like who he is, his name is attributed to his character. They go hand in hand. Uh, not like today where maybe our names are related to some family member or maybe because it was a trendy name or the, the cool name or the weird name. It doesn't matter. But like names in the Bible had weight to it, like who they were as core. Like, like it's just not a description of like the outward self. It was their personality, their motivation, the heart. And God's saying, you want to really know me? You really want to know me? There's glory. See, the moral character of God is the essential glory of God. Now, who knows what happened to Moses after he saw God's glory pass by? Well, he praised God. That praise was part of it. And then what happened to him physically? His face shone. You read going on to chapter 34. It says that he had to wear a veil because his face shone from seeing the the God's passing by, his presence from him. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod. And it means this, it's weight or the sheer unmissable presence of something, especially bright, shining splendor. Um, There's another word that's used, it's called Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. Um, That word's not necessarily in the Bible, but it's used to mean dwelling or to like dwell or rest. And it's kind of like what takes place when the tabernacle was built in Exodus chapter 40. It says the cloud covered the tent of, meeting, uh, tent of meeting, that the glory of the Lord was there. Or in 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicated the temple and the Lord's presence was there, it says His glory filled the temple. That's where they say that this was a weight or the Shekinah, the, the kavod, the heaviness of God. His, not just His presence, but the fullness of God. And that's what it meant. In the New Testament, the word is doxa, which means glory. And that's used in a sense, to know someone's personality, uh, who they really are at. So, for example, if I talk about Brett, and I can because he's not here, and that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But, like, I would say Brett's a worship leader, or Brett is a father, Brett is a husband, um, Brett is a brother. Like, those are things about him that you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Or maybe you didn't know that. But that doesn't describe really who he is, right? 
It's things about him. But what if I were to say, no, Brett's very talented or Brett is kind. uh, Brett is generous. You know, I'm talking about the core of him. That's the idea here. The docs of the glory of God is really the core. Who is God? Summarizing all of his greatness and goodness, his presence, the weight of it. But you want to know something. As much as we look at Exodus 33 and you're amazed of God's presence in that way that he's like revealing himself. The greatest way that his glory was shown was through Jesus Christ. J.R. Packer said, Great is the physical glory of the Shekinah light. The moral glory of God's redeeming love is great. The glory of God is revealed through Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So right there, John is saying, The glory that Moses saw, is revealed before us right now because of Christ. That's what he's saying. You want to know who God is? We look to the Son. We get to know who He is in His heart. Theologian B.B. Warfield, he writes, We come near to what is implied when we read of Jesus being the Lord of glory, that is, to whom glory belongs as His characterizing quality, and when He is described to us as the effulgence of the glory of God. And he's referring to how the author of Hebrews in chapter 1 introduces and points to Jesus. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Talking about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, God became flesh. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And this is important for us to understand. God has revealed himself to us. The image of the invisible is found in Jesus. But it doesn't stop there either. This is where it's amazing. God who has revealed himself through the Son for those who God calls a follower of Christ. Guess what that means for us? That we get to be receivers of his glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul's writing kind of his commentary on Exodus 33 and 34. And he's talking about how there was this glory given. And you know why Moses wore a veil over his face? It wasn't because the Israelites were scared to look at him. Maybe that was a little awkward. I mean, if I saw someone's face glowing, that'd be a little much too, you know. But he hid his face because the glory was fading until he went back into the presence of the Lord. And it was almost like he had to recharge And so it was to kind of hide when that was going away. Well, Paul writes this. He says, Now we all, talking about the believer, with unveiled face, beholding uh, the glory of the Lord. So he's right there. So as a believer, a follower of Christ, what do we behold? God's glory. What do we not have to worry about the passing away or the God's covering? It's because Christ has revealed himself to us. And for those, the believers are called in Christ. So that we get to be part of him. We're in union with him. And so because of that, we behold the glory of the Lord. And what does that mean for us? We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So the layers get deeper and deeper. God who has revealed himself through the Son who gives his glory and parts to the believer. 
that we get to know him, that we get to call out to him. And so really the doxology of the Lord's Prayer, yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever, is us realizing God has made himself known. That's who we get to talk to. It's helping us end our prayer and praise. See, the picture is that one day this life, as we know it, will end. One day God will either call us home or Christ will return. And we won't have petitions to lift up anymore, but only praise. And it's preparing us for that moment. Knowing that this momentary life or this momentary affliction fails in comparison to the weight of glory that awaits us. This is to help us to have the right perspective. Because we could get so caught up on the here and now that we miss the eternal perspective that we're called to have. And the doxology traditionally ends with what word? Amen. Just like you and I today, when we pray, we usually end our prayers with what? Amen. Or we say in Jesus' name, Amen. I had a friend that he would answer in prayer always with this, this phrase. He said, so be it. And I would always be like, that's just not what I'm used to hearing. It kind of like bugged me a little bit, but not really because I knew what he meant. So be it. The word amen, it means true, firm, solid, or certain. Jesus used it by saying the word verily, like he would repeat it verily, verily, or truly, truly, which is also another way of saying amen, amen. But the word also can just be like, so be it. It's almost like we're declaring, we're confident in what I've asked. He hears me and he acts. See, the word amen isn't like a period or as a punctuation mark at the end of a sentence. In our prayers, it's us declaring, agreeing with, saying, God, we know you've heard us. We have identified with our attitude and hopes and goals that this prayer expresses is yours, that we hope that is in line with God's will and his kingdom, that we're resting on his power, that he's mighty, we're resting on the fact that he's a provider, that he's a front one who forgives us. And so we're saying, so be it. It's confident. And in a sense, the word amen can be emphatically or loudly declared. Because we're saying this is truth, who God is. But the word amen also means more than just a declarative statement. It points to Jesus. Revelation chapter 3, if you want to, turn your Bibles to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. And it's in the in, in earlier part of the book of Revelation, Jesus is writing to the seven different churches in Asia. Each church he addresses with a certain introduction of himself. You know, he says, for example, the church of Smyrna, he says the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, like he's describing himself. Well, he's writing to the church of Laodicea, you know, the lukewarm church. In verse 14 of chapter 3, how does he introduce himself? No, he says, and to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true. So right there, Jesus' name, this so be it, the statement of like, it's truth, it's solid, it's this foundation that's firm. That is his name. And so when we say amen, we're confident that it has been done through Christ. Like the one who conquered sin and death, the victor, Jesus Christ, we're declaring like, yes, he's done it. 
I want my will to be God's will because of what Jesus has done. God will provide because of what Jesus has done. My sins are been pardoned or forgiven because of what Jesus has done. That I don't have to give into temptation because of what Jesus has done. Like all of this is declaring who Jesus is. Like he's the amen. And because Jesus is the amen, we can say amen to the promises of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, and that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. That we can have confidence when we pray for the glory of God. If I could just give a warning though, because I need this warning. We need to guard against our insincerity when we pray. All of us probably know we can find out when someone's not being truly sincere one way or another. Usually, you know, it comes out. God knows. And that's why it's so important for you and I that we must guard insincerity. And the way to do that is to realize who God is and his glory. In Acts chapter 5, you may remember about some, an incident that happened with the early church. The church was giving, like they were selling their property and they're giving it to the church. They're like, here you go. And there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they come to the church and they present their gift. And they're like, yeah, we sold our property too and we're giving it all to you. And it turns out they didn't give it all. They only gave part of it. Now the issue isn't how much they gave or didn't give. We don't want to get caught up on that. It was the point that they lied to who? The Holy Spirit. It says you lied to the Holy Spirit. Like they could have said, hey, we sold it and we're giving you a part of it. Like that would have been fine. But the problem was their pretense or what they're presenting was the sincere, like we're giving it all. And so what was at fault was they lied to God. They can't fool God. And there's consequences. In the same way, when we present ourselves to God, we want to be sincere, knowing we can't fool God. We can't lie to God. He knows all things. So we can seek him. But what a great thing for us to remind ourselves, though, but he knows us. He knows when we have a tough week. He knows when we're frustrated about things. And we're like, man, this is just hard. We know when there's those dry spells. We're like, God, just he's like a dry spell right now. He knows. He knows when there are moments you're like, man, I don't feel like going to you right now because I'm frustrated. He knows. And what a great thing in our sincerity, we can even say that and come to him. And he hears us. And we could say, Amen. He knows. That's a great thing. All because of what Jesus has done on the cross on our behalf that we can approach his throne of grace boldly. Church, will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word and and the time to study this Lord's Prayer and spending weeks in it. I do pray and hope that this shapes and molds us as we seek and ask of you, God. We talk about your glory and everything we do in life should point to your glory that we get to know you, that you made yourself, revealed yourself as we get to know the Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know him, what a great thing scripture says, those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. This is calling on Jesus, acknowledging who he is and acknowledging not only who he is, but what he said he came to do. He did it. There's a belief there. This calling on Jesus' name is surrendering to St. Jesus. You conquer sin and death. You, you died for me. Lord, would you forgive me? I confess my sin. I turn from my sin. I want to be obedient to what you say and what you did, Lord. That's the calling on. And what a great thing that you welcome 
freely, that you invite us in, that your forgiveness is free, and we get a call in your name. God, do you pray for the church today, including myself, that we would leave here changed. Just like Moses, as he saw your glory, he was changed. Lord, may people know that we've been with you, that we love you, that our lives have been changed because of Jesus. Would they see that in us? Be with us, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand, please? In Numbers chapter 6, there's this prayer that Moses gives to Israel, one that you're probably familiar with. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This prayer, this declaration really from Moses, has that phrase, let your face shine upon us. He's talking about God's glory. And knowing that has to happen, God's face has shown because of Jesus Christ. We've received blessing, grace, and peace from God. Jesus Christ is a radiant display of the reality of God. And as Paul said, he is the image of the invisible God. May he be with you. Let's worship. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.